Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. Brad Wilson, welcome to another Loving the Christ Life podcast. We're into a very, very important series from Warren Litzman called Out of Law into Grace. I learned many things from Warren over the years, but I know that this Out of Law into Grace is some of the most important things you will hear in our Christ Life Walk. We're not in the old laws. We are now in grace. And Warren, to another session right now. Here's Warren. Take your Bible, if you will, and turn to Philippians, the third chapter. We now come to the heart of what is involved in our first step from law into grace. There's nobody that can better answer that than Paul. And so we're going to look at his life story of how he moved from law into grace. I've made this a theme because I come to so many people who want to co-mingle. You understand what that means? That means a mixture of truth. The average law believer that is, one whose doctrine is based on something they have to do to please God. The average believer in that case will always commingle. When you commingle law and grace, you preempt both of them. You make both of them of no value. One thing I always remember from Watchman Nee was that he said, I had rather see a Christian in sin than one who commingles the scriptures. That's a pretty hard statement. But it's a true statement. I have lived long enough and preach to enough people to know that the greatest detriment people have in Christianity is the mixture of law and grace. The sad thing about it is they don't know they're doing that. They don't know they're doing that because they don't know what law is. Can you understand that? Uh, there are a lot of people in the natural who don't know what the law is. And when you get to court and say, well, I didn't know that was a law, the judge will say, that don't make any difference. <laughs> and it is with God the same because he has a plainly written rule book. I call it rules rather than commandments because there are certain things the scriptures say that you ought to do. And in grace, there are love commandments because no command or rule in grace is followed by judgment. So it is very important that we come to an understanding of what commingling is. Commingling is taking a scripture out of Isaiah and a scripture out of Philippians and making them sound the same. That's a commingling that helps nobody, not even the speaker. 
Because whatever Isaiah said, he said under the premise of a whole different rule or law. What Paul said in Philippians would be based on neither of those. So while they sounded the same and looked the same, they could not be the same because one spoke from a position of not knowing God in his fullness at all, for Calvary hadn't taken place. And the other spoke from a position that he knew nothing else but what took place at Calvary. The sad thing is the preemption of truth, that you can so long mix things up in the Scripture until it's lost its meaning. The second thing is Paul's statement that the Word of God should be rightly divided. Just because you found something in the Old Testament that sounds like it's for you may not be rightly dividing. So remember this little rule. There is no life given to believers in the Old Testament. How could I say such a thing as that? It's simple. Because the final analysis and truth is that the life is in the Son. And he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son does not have life. There was no Son in the Old Testament. There was a looking forward to it, and some people teach that just looking forward to Christ was truth and salvation. But that's kind of hard. A real stretch. Because it wasn't God's intention that they know the Son is life. Why wasn't it God's intention in the Old Testament? Because there was no cross. And yet there's ample mention of the cross. And once again people say, well, because we see the cross in the Old Testament, that's enough for us. But what has happened as a result of that, the cross is not preached. You couldn't possibly preach the cross today with the understanding we have in the Scriptures and not preach that it is not only His death, it's our death. That the place of it is not only Golgotha for Christ, but it is Calvary for you and I. Why? Because to separate the two ideas is to leave you with self-effort. There is nobody in the Scriptures that was more given to the law than the Apostle Paul before he met Christ. By his own words, he could brag that he was better at the law than anybody. That he had failed the Lord less than anybody. He kept the law. And so we want to look at his record. I have always used certain scriptures to help people uh, quick, quick answers to their questions and problems. Like if, if people don't understand their death, I always direct them to Romans 6 to read it over and over till they get it. And if people don't understand what it is there to do with their old life in the, in the soul, Go to Philippians 3 because it's most plainly written there 
what it is we can do because Paul lays it out for us. So we're going to go through some of the verses in Philippians 3 and see a man who was more involved in the law than anybody could have been, Old Testament or New. And what he did to become the faithful servant of God in delivering grace. Keep this in mind. If God was to introduce grace in its most powerful form, if the first time full and complete grace is to be taught in this book, I want you to see something God did. He didn't choose Peter to bring the message. He didn't choose John or James or any one of the twelve. He didn't choose any of the great evangelists that day running around preaching something about Jesus. What did he do? He took the one person who would demonstrate grace more than anybody else in this book. He'd take the meanest man on earth at that time, I call him. Mean because he was the greatest destroyer of the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. He was destroying those he found that had followed Jesus of Nazareth. He was a man that was mean. And so when he met Jesus, he had been so fixed by conviction and the work of the Holy Spirit that he was able to accomplish in those few moments on the road to Damascus what some believers take a lifetime to come to. He knew that his arrest on the road to Damascus was a call from God. His answer was, Lord, what will you have me to do? So in one single answer, he had made Christ Lord. Not Jehovah, not Messiah. He had made him Lord. A lesson that many in our generation now who are upset with religion are trying to do. They're trying to, dis they're trying to express and go into the Messiahship of Jesus again. And always remember, to a born-again believer, Jesus is never, never your Messiah. He is not the Messiah of the Gentiles. He is not intended to be. He belongs to Israel and the Jew, and they're going to have him. He's going to be the complete Messiah for them in time to come, but he is not to the Gentiles. So the great atrocious thing that happens is a commingling of the scriptures, mixing them up. I think nobody understood his call to be a Christian like Paul did. And his personal testimony brings that out vividly. And so I want us to look at some of the words he gives us in Philippians 3. <coughs> Have your Bible ready at that point. He summarizes his witness, his testimony of life, his life in the Son, life in Christ, 
he summarizes it with the word finally in the first verse. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Paul is apologetic many times in his writings because he knows when he opens his mouth, he's going to do something to people that has never been done to them before. You understand that? That's something that has happened to me, though I know in no way compare myself to Paul. But I know what it is when I open my mouth and begin to talk in a new place with a bunch of strange people to this gospel. I know the moment I open my mouth that I have carried them into a place that's very painful for them. Not going to be easy for them because they never heard that before. They never heard it put like that before, let's say. And so Paul is apologetic when he comes to this aspect of his life. Going on to verse 2, he says, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. What was Paul's great interest in this statement? His interest was that there are going to be those who come and preach part of the gospel I preach. There are going to be those who have something to say about my message of the cross. Paul is the only one in the New Testament that carried and perpetuated the message of the cross. He mentions it six times, while once or twice in other writers is it mentioned totally. The reason for that Paul knew that the message of the cross was the basic truth to the gospel of grace. And so he realized when he spoke to people and began to tell them these awesome things that had happened to them, to him, that he'd scare them to death. I have turned many a person off by my lack of wisdom because I'd just come out bluntly and say certain things that they weren't ready for, that they couldn't understand. I feel badly about it. But I brought it up to the Lord many times, and I've always gotten the same answer back from the Holy Spirit. If it's truth, it's truth. Amen. And you are not to evaluate it. Amen. Just give it. And so while I'd like to lead a lot of people alone, and put a smooth noose in their nose. The Holy Spirit working through me has compelled and has caused me to say things that I believe people will never forget in their lifetime, whether they believe it or not. So what Paul says in this verse 2 is that there are going to be a lot of people who beat around the bush, so to speak who will not come out and tell you the facts. They won't preach the cross. We have no record that any of them preached the cross. We have the record that God severally dealt with Peter and gave him about the crucifixion of Christ, which was planned before the foundation of the world. But we have no message of the cross, sir. And that's sad because you wonder how in the world they could carry on. 
Well, what did they do? They may have mentioned the cross, but also mentioned what it was they believed. You see the difference there? They would commingle it. They would say, yes, Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross. And probably one of them that was a vast liberal would say, well, if he'd have done right, he wouldn't have had to die there. They have missed the message. See, I can imagine that happened. There was some of them that probably said that we hear Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, but we really have no proof of it. Over 50% of Christian preachers, according to Christianity Today magazine, do not believe today that Jesus rose from the dead. You see, you can commingle a thing until it becomes truth to you. What is truth? Truth is a person. Truth is not the accumulation of facts or ideas or even scriptures. Truth is a person. He said, I am the truth. So if you leave Jesus out in any form, you're not delivering or giving the truth. In Paul's day, there were obviously people who commingled the gospel so greatly that the people didn't get the truth. He said they were dogs. I like that. Dogs were always a symbol of some sort of evil in, in the scriptures because Jesus of Nazareth said something about dogs. He said it was not best to give the truth to dogs. But there are dogs. There are dogs today. There are many people today who have so commingled the truth that there is no truth left from this book. That's why people change the Bible. That's why we have new translations of the Bible carrying out the agenda of people who have mixed the scriptures to their understanding so that the Bible as we have it is no longer a truth. How do you come to a mistruth? Leave Jesus out. It's that simple. How do you talk about Jesus? You talk about his death, burial, and resurrection. His birth is a great thing, and I like to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But that's not the Jesus that came to this earth without purpose. He came with purpose, and that purpose is in his death, burial, and resurrection. So the mixture of truth, Paul would say it's dogs. What does he say? They're dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. That means the mixture of truth. Now he says this is what we are to do. We are the disciplined ones. It says we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. But what he's saying here is we are the disciplined ones. To what are born again believers being disciplined to? We're being disciplined to the real Christ. Now get this. The real Christ. He's not one you read about and translate or retranslate. 
The real Jesus is not what some Bible scholar said about him. The real Jesus is the one that was taught to you by the Holy Spirit. For Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he shall not speak of himself, he will speak only of me. He will take the things of mine, of me, Jesus. He'll take the things of mine and reveal them unto you. So what is truth? It's a person. What is the Holy Spirit's revelation about that person? Always remember, the Holy Spirit is not in the business of revealing to you anything outside of Jesus. His purpose for coming and living in our spirit is to teach us Christ. That's his mission. His mission is not to tell us what's going to happen in prophecy. I was uh, in my office uh, this past week and, and I noticed that I kind of put the books that are certain subjects together and I noticed that I had six books in a section there all of which had predicted the rapture which has already taken place. You missed it. <clears throat> Every one of them had a word from the Lord. Every one of them said the Spirit showed me this. Every one of them got something out of Daniel and Daniel never knew the Jesus you know. Every one of them had a premise for what they believed out of Scripture. But never the Scriptures where the Holy Spirit teaches and reveals Christ. Some of them were good brothers. Some of them will be at the Father's house. They're saved. But they commingle. And the Holy Spirit is the one that straightens that out. Now, not everybody is taught with the Holy Spirit. I mean, they should be. But not everybody gets it. They, not everybody has an open door to the Holy Spirit in their mind for him to show them something. So there are some things necessary for you to be taught by the Scriptures. The first thing is the Scriptures themselves. If you want the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to tell you what is truth, then you get in the Scriptures. You live in those Scriptures. I don't mean read them. I mean you live them. You live them. You're not ready to live in any portion of God's Word till you go through it 50, 100 times or more and just meditate on it, word by word, and line by line. What have you done by that? You've given the Holy Spirit a chance to talk to you. What's He going to talk to you about? It's, it's a rule. It's a limited thing. It's a prophesied thing. He's going to talk to you only about Jesus. You get it? He's not going to talk to you about Abraham. He's not going to talk to you about the coming dictator, the Antichrist. His mission is just to talk about Jesus. His work on earth started with God's entrance into the Gentile world. His work on earth ends 
when God says no more Gentiles to be saved and the rapture takes place. That's the end of his work. Doesn't it look to you like it's foolish for us to not specialize? I mean, I don't want you to become a weird type believer. We've got enough of them already. We don't need you. What we need is for believers to get in the scripture and stay there till the Holy Spirit's got an open door to your mind. You say, well, how will I know it's the Holy Spirit? The only thing he'll talk about is Jesus. That's what Jesus said he'd come to do. Now, we got him coming to give us gifts. We got him coming to give us power. We got him coming to straighten out all our problems. That's not his mission. His mission is Jesus. Is that simple enough? That's what he come to do. And I'm running to more and more people that say, well, the Spirit has shown me that, that the world is, is coming to its end and that the Antichrist is already somewhere just waiting to be revealed. That may be so, but you didn't get that from the Holy Spirit. See? Somebody said, well, I see how everything's being fulfilled and we're all going to go through the tribulation period. You didn't get that from the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit talks only about Jesus. Let's keep it simple. Let's not make it something weird and far off. That's why we follow Paul. Because he's the one that made it simple. He made it so simple that if you read what he said, you won't have these awful problems. I got a commercial right here. I just prepared a, a disc, a CD for people who are worried about the hour we're living in. The hour we're living in. I wish I could get it in every one of your hands. We got it if you want one of them. But I think we're living in an hour that is testing us as to whether or not we are full of the Holy Spirit. You see, I believe the Holy Spirit was given to every believer in the bucket of grace. I think it's something Jesus gave to us. He said, I give you the Holy Spirit. I give you another comforter. So it's a gift to us. You have the Holy Spirit to teach you. He's going to teach you about Jesus. Why would he just be limited to Jesus? Because that's all that matters. The closer we get to the end, what in the world could matter more than Jesus? I have somebody saying, well, I'm hungry. I'm just out looking for all the things of God, and I think I'll go over here. If you don't find Jesus there, you wasted your time. It's Jesus. Jesus. Praise God for Jesus. I want to get it across to you about the danger of co-mingling. Remember this verse 3 ends to have no confidence in the flesh. I have to comment on that. Most things that are being written about God and Jesus and the church and the world today religiously is coming from the flesh. Somebody's flesh. There are many people who in their flesh are planning a new religion based on the failure of Christianity. It's going on today. Sister Oprah, she's on television. 
she has said that she's a part of that and that she'll have the largest Bible class that's ever been formed. Not Bible. There'll be no Bible in the, in the new religion. But she'll have the largest teaching class that's ever been. Our friend who captivated the ignorant, stupid Christian church with this positive living idea, Rick Warren, has joined in with that, along with Bob Schuler. They all feel like we need a new religion that is based on the failure of Christianity. And they're advocating no sin. There will be no sin in our new religion. No sin. People may make a mistake here and there, but there's no sin. So there's no cross. You don't need a cross. You don't need a Savior. And you don't need to talk about Jesus all the time. Leave him a historical figure. It's coming, dear friends. This is what's coming in our day from people now who have the ear of the world through television and radio and their books. You're not to trust anybody who says the Spirit is in their life who does not have the concentration on Jesus. Somebody's always coming to me and saying, is that all you can talk about is Jesus? And I say, I pray to God and hope so, because that's all I want to say. Verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I got a whole lot more. Now this is, this is an important verse because this is the way Paul does things. He comes right out and says that what I have believed and produced and been a part of up till now has been out of my flesh. What was he? A rabbi. A highly trained man. But a man that in his flesh protected his religion so strongly that he would kill a person who disagreed with him. And that's where he was when Christ found him. So if he wanted... To talk about flesh, he says, I have more flesh than anybody you ever saw and I trusted in it. Now we're getting to the person that's got to take that step from law to grace. They may not make this statement in verse 4, but they need to. Anybody who comes from law to grace needs to have in the back of their mind this idea that what I have believed up until now is not the truth or the whole truth. You get it? I'm telling you what needs to happen. Probably won't because those people may not have this kind of gospel when they get ready to move into grace. But this is a part of the first step that you admit that I have not had the truth 
I need the truth. I need to admit that. So when somebody comes to me and says, well, I'm satisfied where I am, I always say, well, what is it about where you are that satisfies you? Tell me. Well, you know, I go to church all the time. The preacher does the best he can. And, and my preacher has been to seminary, two or three of them maybe. Beat around the bush. They're like politicians. Never answer the question, but talk all the time. Amen. I mean, just rattle off anything. That's not truth. That's flesh. Your body made out of clay turns to flesh when it gets the mind. Jesus only operates in a believer when you give him the mind. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus or have the mind of Christ. How do you get it? By shutting off the flesh. We're going to see more flesh religion, I believe, in the days to come than we have ever seen in America. We're going to see many of the things we believe demised, cursed, and put down. Right now, politically, people in our nation are like to stamp out everybody that's a Christian. You hear the politicians talk about it. It's awful. And I don't mean to bring politicians, uh, po anything political, into this meeting. But I'm talking to you about people who have compromised and who commingle the gospel. You can't trust anybody that doesn't start with Jesus and ends with Jesus in their message. You can't trust them. We're at that day. Why? Because they have flesh in what they say motivated. Their flesh motivates them, and most of the people listening to them have identity with their flesh. You see? That's the background I see to this third chapter. He says, I might trust in the flesh. I more. Now what did he mean that he'd trust in the flesh? What is it that made Paul trust in his flesh? Here's the listing. Let's go through it. He's coming out of law into grace. We're coming to it now in verse 5. Number 1. He was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. Boy, I don't know what all that means. But that must be the highest form of being circumcised that was possible. As a Jew, he could have had no more. Look what he had. He was on the right day. He was of the stock of Israel, a true Jew. And he was of the tribe of Benjamin. And he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And touching the law, he was a Pharisee. He belonged to every lodge in the country. <laughs> I mean, if there was anything to join as a Jew, he joined it. He said, that's the way I was under the law. That's the way I was. I'm not making fun of, of lodges. Some of them do good work. 
But I'm just saying he was a joiner. He just joined everything that come along. Look at the things he was. Stock of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee. What else could he have been to be acceptable? What was it he wanted under the law? He wanted to be the best. He wanted to be the most efficient. He wanted to be the highest trained. You get it? He wanted to be all of those things. Why? Because under the law, it's who you are that's important. Get that, that's the big thing you need in those notes. It's who you are under the law that's important. In grace, it's who He is that's important. Who He is. Who He is to you. What is it about your religion you don't want to give up? I'm serious. What is it about your past religion under the law you won't give up? I have people talking to me and very sincerely tell me, say, well, I tell you, my grandpa went to this church uh, my daddy went to this church. I go to this church and I got all my children going to this church. We just we just can't do anything else but go to this church. You know what? They turned down God's grace on that simple idea. And I'm not trying to get people out of their churches. I'm talking to people who are under the law that need to move on. Need to move on. That's my purpose in this. I have other people that come to me and say, well, I tell you, I don't agree with him all the time, but he's, that preacher's a good man. And I've seen him do some hard things. And I've heard a few sermons that beat anything I ever heard anywhere else. Excuses. They're not going to come into grace without willingly leaving those things. I didn't say destroy them. I didn't say curse them. But they're going to have to leave them. They're going to have to cease their operation in their life because it's made of them an identity that's not formed by Christ. Identity. Who you are. Well, we're going to have to stop right here, but we will pick up next week right at this spot where we left off. Every time I hear one of these, I say, wow, I mean, it just gets better and better. And we hope so much that you're enjoying it and getting the important messages you need to get from these great sessions from Warren Litzman. Now, please tell others about this podcast. It's very important to us that we get this message around the world. That was Warren's goal, is to have this message to everybody around the world. And you can help us do it by telling your family and friends all about this podcast every week. Don't forget to go to our website, christ-life.org. That's where you can read all about the In Christ message and what we're all about. Christ-life.org. 
org. Now, we'd like to thank Robbie Litzman, as we always do. Robbie allows us to go into the archives each week to find these wonderful teaching sessions for you. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock, she does our weekly podcast notes. And this program is produced every week by Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, Loving the Christ Life.